to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. Today we're on our fifth uh, Hu Xiaoshan film, uh, The Boys from Feng Kui. Or Feng Kui, <laughs> Feng Kui, I think. So, um, your thoughts? Yeah, it, 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 I thought it was great. It, it's um, So it's his uh, fourth feature film as director. Um, obviously, in the, the immediate before this was, was uh, the episode in The Sandwich Man. It's his first independent film. Um, it's regarded as, you know, the first his first mature film or the, mm. you know, the start of his mature career. It's one of his favourite films, apparently, his of his own films. Of, of his own films, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It's another great restoration by the. And we should give a big shout out to the uh, Cinematheque uh, Belgique mm -hmm. who did all these restorations. And this is this is the first first of those restorations we've seen so far where Ho Xiao Shen was actually involved in the restoration. So obviously he wasn't going to go anywhere near restoring the earlier ones. But... And can I also <laughs> say, let's also give a big fuck you to Brexit if you are a cinephile, because I have now tried to get... There, there is a box set put out in collaboration with the Belgian Cinematheque. I've now tried to buy it three times, and each time I've been refused, yeah, because of the difficulties you know, in shipping to uh, Britain uh, uh, from Europe at the moment. But I'm actually surprised at how very few uh, films, uh, physical copies of them, uh, of Hu Xiaoshen's films, uh, you can get online yeah, in good quality copies. But I think his release history, you know, a bit like Shaheen, his, his actual release history in in the West is not as consistent as, as as you would think for such a major figure. Well, but Shaheen is a good example because when we were doing Shaheen, you know, I did get a very considerable number of films from France, right? Because, you know, they had beautiful restorations and, you know, with French subtitles only, some of them, but they were like beautiful to see, right? And now those kinds of things, uh, we we either have no access or very difficult access. So, and I must add to that, so big fuck you to Brexit, uh, but a big thank you also to Mubi, right, for, for making these available to us because, you know, they are really wonderful. And I just kind of love, you know, this progression uh, that we're seeing. Yeah, we, we talked about this on one of the Shaheen podcasts, I think, the difference between Mubi as a, as a curated service where they're, you know, they're, they're giving you a a kind of hand-picked selection of films with a context and and you can just do a your sort of journey through a, a genre or through a director uh, and you know contrasting that with netflix who also have you know more interesting stuff on than you would think but it's kind of dumped on there and you have to sort of do your own work to explore it both approaches are interesting but i think uh, yeah I, I, I do yeah, yeah we the reason we've now done these five podcasts is you know we started off just by watching cute girl which happened to be on movie and and then and work, work, work through that. So, yeah. Yeah. So the good thing about seeing all of these things in chronological order is that you can see change uh, and development. Uh, and I was really struck uh, by the boys from Feng Kui, uh, also called All the Youthful Days, by the way, um, because, you know, I, th I think there are some things about it that I think are just great cinema. They're gobsmacking, really. You know, so uh, all those... Um, extraordinarily elegant long takes uh, that are kind of in the middle distance 
uh, but you know they're framed either from indoors or with a corridor on the horizon. Right? There's this beautiful shot in the market where you know the boys are in the foreground. There's a street where cops and horses passes. There's an alleyway that goes further up, and then you see the other street, and you see like this frame that's kind of like alive. It's a whole world, yeah. You know, just from where the camera is placed, from the from the camera placement alone. And then, you know, all of those scenes. So when they move to the big, to the big city of their area, uh, they land in this apartment, yeah, with a couple across the balcony, right? And so many of those scenes are filmed so elegant. So the camera pans down, you see the people come up, they come up through the stairs. Hu Shen is not afraid to let time lapse. So you see nothing as they cross from one window to another. And then the camera pans and they're in the room. And then, you know, kind of the characters move into the room and you see them framed through a window, right? It's just beautiful and elegant and meaningful. I mean, I love the way it kind of established the the relationship between where their flat was. I think it was a room rather than a flat and where, where the couple's room was. And, and the, you know, the, the corridor you go down and so you could see how, how they could see each other from the flats. The other thing I really liked about those scenes in the flat is he kind of repeated the, the same shot over and over again. So every, every time they arrived back at the flat, the building, it was usually it was always the same shot of the of the, of the space and then different things would, would be happening. So, you, you know, you'd start off showing the entrance to the building. They'd walk through the entrance and then it would pan up to the to the couple's flat and that seemed to happen each time so there was different action going on within the same shot mm. so you had a really good sense of that physical space i really like that i also love the contrast between the soundtrack and what you're shown so at the very beginning of the film for example you're shown poor people living in this you know boondock the kids are really bored you know they're they're like teenagers and so their boredom leads them to mischief and petty crime it's often backed up by really glorious, you know, classical music. Yeah, that kind of elevates and, you know, kind of not quite deifies them, but, you know, accords them a respect and, you know, a weight and so on. Yeah, that let's say a rock soundtrack wouldn't. It would just have been mischief or boredom. This is kind of, you know, mischief and boredom, but of people who are worthy. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was... That was really beautiful, really. Um, and I also loved the elegance and economy with which the film goes into flashback. Yeah, so yeah, know. which reminded me a little bit of the way he handled flashbacks in the in the Sandwich Man, mm. where it's it's kind of signaled by the overlapping dialogue. Um, yeah, there's a lot of overlapping dialogue, which is, you know, very interesting in itself, how one moment carries into another, mm. right? Because that's the significance of it. The overlapping dialogue bridges those two times, which is really, I think, uh, fascinating. But I'm here talking specifically about a camera move, right? You mm. know, so you see the young man, his father has died, and then, you know, the camera moves from him, and it moves into the past, yeah, there's his father as a young man and him as a young man. Yeah, and, you know, there's no, yeah, kind of, there's no signaling and there's no problem with the not signaling. Yeah, the camera move does it. Yeah, it's, very, it's kind of very economical and doesn't always explicitly tell you things, but it's really clear what what the connections are. So there's a sequence, for instance, early in the film, you, you, know, you, see, you see some scenes 
with the boys and with other people in the in the in the village, and then you see this scene of a of a, a kind of middle aged man sitting in the sun, and a woman tells him to move, and you, then you realise he's he's got brain damage and he's got some kind of dent in his head, and you don't really know the connection with the with the other characters, and then a little a little later you then just get this flashback of one of the central characters remembering his father being hit in the head by a baseball and it's like immediate mm. you know you the, the connection is made very clear without anyone yeah. no no one says at that point oh yeah remember you know oh yeah that's your father being you know and that's your father in the chair it's just okay you, you it, it all clicks into place really nicely yeah it's very beautifully done because you know this is the big trauma of this young man's life yeah mm. but in effect he lost his father but his father's always there gaga you know requiring uh attention and being fed and you know so he becomes an, both an absence and the problem yeah a task to to do and there's the, you know the film is very um wonderful about showing the resentment and you know the slight anger and you know the 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 refusal to acknowledge and and then also you know a kind of uh, ultimate sense that you know when his father was there he, he was loved yeah mm. that his father loved him which is kind of how the film ends so so it's a film i think that also has like great depths you know yeah because really i mean if we talk about if we talk about the plot i mean it's a very simple plot really but there's a lot clearly a lot going on under the surface but i mean the plot really is just these boys they're kind of in between the end of school and their military service and they're just drifting around they haven't got anything to do so they just drink and get into fights and then mm. they decide to move to the city and they move to the city and they just drink and get into fights <laughs> and fall in love and fall out of love and grow up and drift apart and then um you know the father dies and then they that one of them joins gets called up for the draft and then and that's it i mean that's kind it's very simple but but it's very deep in terms of the look at these people's lives i think yeah you're saying it's very simple, but that's quite a lot of plot that you've been recording. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, yeah, you do. I mean, it's only like, it's quite a short film; it's about an hour and forty minutes, and there's a lot packed in. It's a lot of presumably mm. a lot of time has passed in these lives, and and yeah, there's a lot of characters, a lot of complicated interactions. Um, it doesn't all. You know, sometimes there are kind of a, it's a bit of an ellipsis, and it doesn't really tell you why something has happened, or you know, because at, at one point the, the 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 boyfriend of the couple across the the hall goes to sea and so one of the boys is kind of maybe falling in love with the with the neighbor woman um and there's a bit of a gap you don't really see how and you you know that relationship's been developed because he travels to meet to, to her hometown but but it's not clear you're not really told what's happening you 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 just kind of understand it but you and you also understand how these boys are are drifting apart because you know one of them is you know they, they'll get they'll get jobs in the factory but you know one of them is brawling and making new friends and drinking the another is trying to kind of improve himself and he's trying to learn japanese from a from a tape recorder and you know that you you do you you get this sense of people growing up and drifting apart in the way in the way that people people do you know um yes um so this film is a turning point in his career and you can see why that is so but at this, I, I, it is also a continuation. So one of the things that we remarked in our last podcast on The Sandwich Man was the similarities that the film seemed to have in some ways to The Bicycle Thief, mm. you know, and you could argue that maybe that was a bit far-fetched, 
But I think the influence of neorealism, of Italian neorealism on his work, becomes really clear and vivid in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the film, up, you know, cites Rocco and his brothers, the uh, Lucchino Visconti film. Um, and in fact, the plot has kind of parallels in some ways. Yeah, the, you know, the plot is about migration to the city. There's a couple of interesting things about that. The first is that um, I found a, a pointer to an interview where Ho Shen claims that they were filming the, so the, the cinema interior was filmed in, in Taipei. And yeah. they, because someone asked him, you know, what about the influence of neorealism realism and, and, and Visconti. And he claims they turned up at the cinema and he said, oh, I want, I, we need to have a film showing on the, on the screen while this scene happens. Have you, what, what have you got? And it, he, he claims that Rocco and his brothers would just happen to be the film that was in the cinema that day, which I don't believe because, as you say, the, the parallels are so so clear. But that but that's interesting. Um, well, I mean, you know, frankly, it could be that he made the most of it, you know. So, uh, but I also think that the combination of what we said last week about the bicycle thief, the use, the the active citation. Uh, of Rocco and his brothers. And then the plot structure, which is totally Fellini's Evie Teloni. Yes, I mean, yeah. You know, uh, rather kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, directors are not always to be believed, is my view. Yeah, yeah. You know, and actually the work kind of would contradict that statement. Ab- absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it Maybe he just says that in order to explain why he didn't bother paying anyone for the rights to use the clip, because you can yeah. imagine there might have been some issue there. The, the, the other, I mean, the other thing about that that I loved is that the reason they go and see Rocco and his brothers is not is not that these are four boys that have an interest in Italian neorealism. It's the fact they're four boys and they, they believe that European art house films are likely to have some nudity in it. Yes. So they, they go and see it and they're like, why isn't there any porn in this film? And you think, oh God, so, you know, Rocco and his brothers, it's like three hours long. They, and they, they're sitting there saying, oh God, it's black and white and there's no nudity. Yes. <laughs> but the other thing that was that, I, that interested me about that is, the, is that the print they're watching is an English dubbed version of Rock on His Brothers with, with Mandarin or whatever language subtitles. We should also mention that when they arrive in the city, uh, you know, the sister kind of tries to get rid of them because, you know, her, her lover and their friends are playing cards. And so she gives them money, you know, to go see a movie. And uh, they get conned by the street salesman. <laughs> and they think they're going to see, you know, some some porno and cinema yes. and, and stereophonic sound. Yeah. And of course, you know, when they end up is they go up to a building and all they see is a view <laughs> of the city below, which yeah. is in fact in color and stereophonic and, and cinema and, and cinema uh, scope. I, lo- I thought that was an amazing scene because as you yeah. say, it just looks like a cinema screen. And uh, yeah, that, 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 that was great. The boyfriend is, I think the boyfriend is played by Hu Hu Shan. Um, Cause he, he, I know he has a cameo role in the film. Mubi says he plays a a, a Ma Yong player, and mm. I think that's him. Although he has a lot more hair there than he does now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one could take this comparison of you know the black and white Rocco and his brothers, uh, the um, cinemascope frame, which really is showing the opposite of what you expect. Mm. A cinemascope frame to show you. So, you know, rather than the spectacle of armies or horses or, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, a cinemascope was like 
spectacle, Roman gladiators or something. You just see the city below. But actually, it is alive. It's dynamic. You see things moving. It's both kind of beautiful in that darkness, yeah, uh, but also real in a way that, you know, the uh, stereotype or the cliché of, you know, the cinemascope film of the period would not have been. So I thought... Um, I thought that that was uh, all very interesting. Did you find it moving? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes, I just did this too. Kind of, as you say, just this kind of melancholy thing because yeah, the, the film starts and they're you know, they're 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 young guys just hanging out together, just having fun, and it's, it's just the way they they sort of drift apart, go in different directions. I mean, it, you know, this is not an unusual plot, right? This is kind of, you know, American graffiti or whatever, you know, that, yeah. whatever film except, you want to quote. Except actually, I would, I would argue it's, well, I guess it is American graffiti. But, you know, there is something about, there's a kind of a, a, a potency, an urgency, a kind of an existential carapace, you know, to these seemingly minor events in life mm. that is brought to bear by the, by the military service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, by the fact that you are going to go and be with complete strangers, you know, being ordered around, you know, for 18 months or two years or, yeah, whatever mm. the period is. And then, you know, you may end up in war and dead, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's a moment of, of, of transition, but... It's not like going to uni, right? No, exactly. Exactly. And I think the the other thing which comes from watching these films in order is that these, you know, these kids they could be the the the, you know the three boys from Green Congressive Home, like a a few years later, you know. And I think I think having having just seen that, that you kind of think, yeah, because these are they're they're coming from a similar background and living in a similar town. There are some things that you can see recur in uh, uh, Hu Shen's films. So this thing about, you know, the country or the small village and the city is a recurring theme. I suppose, you know, this period must have been one of migration into the big cities. And I think one of the things that I really like about the film is how it's both very particular, right? So all that sociocultural, economic context you can see unfold and being reflected in the film but i think it also so for example i think it resonates with me like you know in my village in spain there was this thing of like you know kids were almost put together if you so if you were born in the same year which meant that you would do your service in the same year right it's almost like you were pushed together it's like you you almost became a gang against your will and you went to the movies together. You did all these things together because you were marked by... Yeah, you would all be going to do the army yeah, at the same time. And actually, if somebody was just born a month before or after another but fell into a different year, they'd be... Yeah? Mm. You could see that it was a kind of a social pushing. It wasn't just like an individual choice uh, of friends. Um, and, you, you know, you kind of see that here. And I also really loved... The way that you also see, I love that moment where the mother threw the knife at him, right? Yes. <laughs> so there's a moment where, you know, uh, they've been in fights and, you know, they've gotten all kinds of scrapes. And actually, the, the I suppose another thing to mention, which again reminded me of Spain, is that, 
What's important is not the individual, it's the family. So, you know, a child's actions affect the whole family, right? You know, so when, when they hurt a guy and he goes to hospital, the family is liable for the debt, yeah? <laughs> not just him individually, which, which affects expectations, responsibilities, yeah? And so um, there's a moment where, you know, the, the, the teenager says, I'm going to kill him. And the mother says, you're not going to kill anybody and throws a knife at him. Right? <laughs> the knife she's cooking with. And, and you go, wow, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of... And she nicks his knee. And of course, she's immediately regretful and so on. But you could see the frustrations and also the danger. Like, you know, if that knife had landed differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love so, the way those fights were filmed. By the way, because generally he, you, you know, he'd keep the camera still, and yes. the fight would kind of start in the middle of the frame, and then it would go off screen, and yes. you could, yeah, you knew all this mayhem was going on, but but then they'd kind of just come in and out of the frame. Um, yes, I also liked to say realism is is maybe not to be too specific, but I like the way that the fights also seemed real. You know, like the yeah. kinds of fights you'd see downtown in Birmingham on a, on a Saturday <laughs> night, right? They're clumsy and um, inelegant and, you know, people are hitting with their feet and, they, you know, their hands and they're not landing blows. And, yeah, it's not like this movie fighting where it's all like elegant kung fu or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the fight, the fighting scene real. I mean, there's a couple of really great dance scenes that also seem quite real. You know, that scene, I love that scene where they're, they're just doing that silly dance to try and impress the girl at the, at the yes. seaside. And uh, what I loved is you sort of see them doing the dance just with them in the frame. And it almost looks impressive. And then you just kind of see it from her point of view. You know, the camera moves back like and you see it through the doorway. She's like, oh, come on. And then you see it. Then then you see it from a far distance. It's like, OK, this is what this is what the people on the on the on the shore are seeing these four idiots yes. doing. You know, and it, I, I really loved that. It felt kind of genuine. Um, mm. You know, and there's another scene where they're kind of, you know, play fighting on the beach and trying to pull the other one, one of their shorts down and stuff like that. It just all felt very, you know, just very genuine, very, very, you just, you kind of felt there was a real friendship between these, these, these characters, I think. It's interesting that you mentioned that moment because, you know, so, so I loved it because initially you just see them dancing on the beach and you just think other oh, kids having fun. And then you see them from, framed from the inside. Yeah, and you think, what does this mean that the camera is now inside this building and they're kind of framed against the beach? And then, of course, what you realize is that you're seeing it from her point of view. Yeah, but you don't know that until later. Yeah, and so when you see her point of view, I agree with you, that's the feeling that you get. It's like a rolling of the eyes. Yeah. (laughs) But then the shot that, you know, the long shot where you're seeing it kind of from the mainland, I suppose, yeah? It had, I mean, it, it could have the effect that it's how other people walking by might see them. Yeah, um, it, uh, definitely. Right. But it also felt elegiac to me. It also felt like a memory. It's like, a, this is what our youthful days were like. Yeah. So we were idiots, but it's also lovely. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. The, 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 the long distance camera and also what feels like a slowing down of the film. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure of it, but it felt like the movements were slower. Yeah, in, yeah. In I mean, in, term, in terms of that memory thing, I think while while the actual plot of the film is not autobiographical, it's kind of you know just remembering youthful exuberance and the, the kind of things you were you were trying to do at the time. 
Yeah, exuberance might be the wrong word, really, because yes, exuberance in the sense of energy, but you also get a sense of a typical teenage sense of feeling, mm. right? Of frustration, boredom, loneliness, confusion, right? It's yeah, it's not just kind of exuberance. You know, it's almost like I don't know. You're at, in a musical and everything's lovely. Yeah. This is kind of you know energy, yeah. But energy also accompanied by boredom, frustration, mm. yeah, confusion, all of those things. I mean, you really get the sense, kind of, you know, in 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 the lead character how troubled he is. You know, and yeah, he, yeah. He can't articulate. Yeah. Um, so something else we should mention is the the writer. So this was written by um, a woman called Chu Chu Tianwen, who was a really important collaborator, or is a really important collaborator of Ho Xiaoshan. She has written, as as I understand it, she's written all of his films, or pretty much all of his films since then, right up to and including The Assassin. I I also in my reading came across the influence of a book written by Wen Tiangxiang. So it's called uh, The Autobiography of, it looks like, Zen Kang Wen, on the aesthetics of film, on reflexivity, on an observational style. And he said that reading this book uh, changed uh, his way of doing cinema. And you could really see a change between this film and the three previous ones, yeah, that's that yeah, quite yeah. marked. Uh, though interestingly, I also read that this was uh, a flop. Uh, so wh whereas the Green Green Grass of Home uh, had been uh, a big success uh, and had been nominated for the Golden Horse Awards, I want to mm. be specific because actually I was reading a, a Robert Sklar on Hu Shen. And, you know, and he's, he was a Marxist, uh, you know, writing on working class uh, actors and stuff like that. Mm. And I really admire him. But you could see American imperialism at work by, see, so he would say, oh, the green, green grass of home won the equivalent of the Oscars, or no, was nominated for the equivalent of the Oscars, yeah, in uh, uh, Taiwan. Without actually bothering to find out what the name of that was. Yes. <laughs> like you would never refer to Cannes as you know the French equivalent of whatever or Venice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's this yeah. kind of you know on the one hand the drive to study it and analyze it and is driven by a good thing, but then there's also like this kind of carelessness for others that you can't even mm -hmm. you know be bothered uh, <laughs> with. Uh, and by the way, uh, so it's called the Golden Horse Awards. Um, and before anyone accuses us of the same thing, you know, we apologize and we just have difficulty in finding out things like what the characters are called. I checked on IMDb and Wiki, you know, can't find them. You know, uh, I have no Chinese whatsoever and certainly can't read it. So and without making this, you know, a huge research project, you know, rather than a viewing pleasure. Uh, we may also fall into that trap. I've found a couple of interesting articles which I'll send you links to, and I think there is, there is quite a bit out there about this. But I also found, you know, in terms of names of stuff, um, about half the articles I read talked about, um, you know, Feng Kui as the name of their village and the island, I can't remember what they, and, and, and gave the name for the island. 
another half of them gave Funkways the name of the island and a different name for the village. And, and you know, it, it's sort of, I mean, Ho Xiao Shen says Funkwei Feng, is the island, so we'll, 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 we'll go with that. But it, it's... It, 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 it's interesting, though. I think partly because in this film a lot is unstated, you know. The, it's, um, so you can interpret what's going on in different ways, which perhaps is is, is why there's some of that non-specific stuff. Nate, but um, I grant you that. But I think you know he was speaking at that time directly to a Taiwanese audience, who he he would expect would know a lot of things that need not be explained, mm. right? So something that would have been very, very clear to, to his audience is not necessarily clear to us. And I do think that it is the critic's task to make those things clear. <laughs> to, yeah, abs yeah, absolutely. So, but he, I mean, and I guess in terms of contemporary response to this in Taiwan, you know, I mean, he, he was, his first three films were explicitly commercial cinema. So you can, you assume that what commercial cinema in Taiwan at that time wanted was, you know, pop stars. They wanted songs. They wanted glossy cinema scope. This yes. has none of those things. And, um, no. you know, it, it, it clearly, yes, it, it is a, um, well, it depends what you mean by better. You know, it's a very good film. It's an excellent film. It's probably, it is a better film than the other three, but the other three are very enjoyable um, pieces of cinema too. Um, yes. I think it's also worth mentioning that aside from being, Hu Xiaoshen's favorite film. Uh, the Boys from uh, Feng Kui was also the film that won him his first award for uh, best film in foreign film festivals. This was at Nantes, uh, which at, you know at that time was an important uh, uh, film festival. So this is really also the beginnings of an international career. In 1983, right? So still during a period of martial law, actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, which would have bought him a lot of protection and freedom. Foreign mm. awards are significant uh, in, in culture, particularly yeah. in small uh, nation states. Uh, so I think all of those things are very, very interesting. That's not, however, what makes the film interesting. I think the film is, is interesting because it's very beautiful and it's very moving and you recognize yourself in it and then you think you know how could you possibly recognize yourself in it you know you're a gay 59 year old 58 year old you know from spain who grew up in montreal whereas you know this is like a small you know a village in an island in in taiwan yeah. and yet you know kind of you do uh which i think is really quite an extraordinary achievement it's it's interesting because because the thing is i mean it's 82 83 and these boys are sort of 15 16 17 mm. whatever and that which is about the age i was then and mm. so the, in terms of and it's interesting watching them in terms of culture in terms of you know at one point they're running a stall selling presumably pirated cassette tapes and stuff like that yes. and, and it's sort of you know you're, you're just recognizing like 1980s pop culture there from a, and, yes. and the similarities between you know, European and, 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 and Taiwanese pop culture were, were interesting. So, yeah, no, the, the, the one, there's some very 80s clothes going on, like Fido Dido. Well, it wasn't Fido Dido, but, you know, the T-shirt he's wearing with the mm. with the cartoon drawing on. Uh, so it's kind of, I, I think that's one, one, one thing that made me relate to it. But I think that there is a, you know, okay, not 
most people watching this film are not from a Taiwanese fishing community and are not, and are not going to be called up for military service these days, probably in most places. But but you know it is it is universal this whole thing yes. about you know um, you know gr- growing up, moving away from home, trying to do something in a new town. I mean, I could really those scenes where they first arrive in the city and they're lost and they're they're trying to understand how the buses work and they're yes. trying to and then they get conned into the. Yeah. I mean, okay, I never actually got conned by into a porn cinema, but but it did remind me of you know, be, coming to London on a day trip with friends when I was fifteen, sixteen, and and just getting lost and be, being really exciting, and you know, um, it, it, yeah, I, I think I think there's a universality to that. Yeah, and also, and maybe lastly, what you also see is now a fully formed great filmmaker. I mean, you know, somebody who can use space and shots and the frame you know, and those compositions, and you can already tell his style. In fact, you know, I was very tempted to just line up all the shots, which, again, are filmed from inside. You know, you see the outside through a doorway, mm. yeah, uh, and the characters are either moving forward or moving out of that space. I mean, you know, you can just tell that is now a characteristic Hu Shaoshen uh, shot, yeah. at least in this film. <laughs> the, the, and, and, of course, we we can't stop without mentioning another Hu Shaoshen characteristic which is that it, the film does open with a toilet joke yes five films five toilet jokes <laughs> yeah and it, so in, in, in this one you know one, one of the one of the guys goes to the this little toilet cubicle on the road and then his friends kind of basically spit beer at him through the through, through, through the window so he comes out again in his pants very similar to the toilet joke in the sandwich man but what but it kind of really struck me that here it's right at the beginning and the toilet joke happens and the guy's running away in his pants, and then the caption comes up, directed by Ho Shao Shen. So it's kind of almost like that's his directorial signature. This is like his <laughs> his Hitchcock cameo. It's like <laughs> so, but he's like Hitchcock ended up in his later films. The cameo just came earlier and earlier because everyone was looking for it. Like the, who, he he puts the toilet joke in first, so everyone knows it's happened. I mean, I'm sure he probably. I imagine he's probably stopped doing toilet jokes by now. I don't remember one in The Assassin anyway. But, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to end it here. I mean, uh, it's I'm finding it richer and richer as we proceed. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are thinking aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.